Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome guest moderator, Tom Huddleston. Thanks a lot, everyone. So we're here to discuss the film Still, uh, which is a terrific British indie coming out on Friday, having its premiere at the Regent Street Cinema. Uh, we've got director Simon Blake and we've got Aidan Gillen and they're going to be coming on in a second. First, we're going to watch uh, a trailer for the film. He always used to ask after you when you were gone. I was his dad. You were the one he wanted to be noticing. Just stop trying to tell me what to do! Stop trying to be a mommy! All right? Because you're not a mother anymore, are you? You're not a fucking mommy anymore! So that's the trailer for Still. Um, we will be taking some questions from the audience towards the end, so have a think about anything that you want to ask Simon or Aidan. Uh, now, without further ado, the director, Simon Blake, and actor, Aidan Gillen. So, Simon, I wanted to start with you. Um, I know you worked in theatre and then made some short films. I heard an interview with you where you said you had some success in your 20s and then hit a bit of a wall in your 30s. So can you talk about kind of that process and the, pro and the process of becoming a fully-fledged filmmaker and a feature filmmaker with Still? Well, I was lucky enough to meet a um, kind of an amazing producer who kind of allowed me to, to make Still. Um, but yeah, the film is to some extent about how men deal with failure, um, <laughs> which is not a very good tagline. Um, but that's kind of what it's about. It's about a person who is not where he hopes to be. And then you throw in all the other different elements and you, know, you, you watch this man kind of fall apart. Um, and it is difficult when you're a creative person if you're not doing what you love doing. It's, um, it's not a very good place to be. Did it <clears throat> Sorry, did it begin with a script and then you, I mean, was it, was it a traditional uh, filmmaking method where you wrote a script, you sent it to some people, you got some funding, or, I mean, what was the kind of process no, around that? No, not at all, not at all. It started off as a stage play um, about 12 or 13 years ago, and then a friend of mine um, who is a DOP said you should make it into a film, and at first I was quite reluctant because I loved the claustrophobic nature 
of the stage play. And I thought that if we opened it out into a film, we would lose that. And what's quite strange is actually, hopefully in a very cinematic way, we've returned to that kind of claustrophobic quality. Um, and so I, I, I wrote a couple of drafts. The first drafts were far too close to the stage play. And then it started to open out um, and we had some interest. But it's, it's not a very easy sell. So I needed a producer like Colette to have the courage to make it and for somebody like Aidan to support it. Um, and then it, then it had wings and it had legs. And as soon as you know, Colette got involved, she had access to funding. Um, so it became real and became potential. And then the minute Aidan came on board, that gave us credibility. And so, um, yeah. Um, I'm guessing if there's any budding filmmakers in the audience, they'll want to know how a first-time feature filmmaker got an actor like Aidan Gillen to appear in their film. So maybe you can both talk about kind of how you first read the script, how you approached Aidan, this sort of idea. Through the usual channels, I got sent the script uh, through an agent, through my agent, um, uh, who does send me on everything, you know. Um, I'm not sure how it works with other actors, but I'm not sure if, you know, every smaller film script gets through to, you know, a, an actor that it's um, intended for, but um, if the actor, you know, uh, imparts this information to the agent that they do want to read everything and are interested in um, in projects that don't necessarily, uh, aren't going to make them rich or, um, you know, smaller, what are seen as smaller projects. So they're, they're not really smaller because the work involved in making them is usually greater and the involvement's usually greater and the workload is usually more intense and the rewards are, can be greater. Um, uh, so the script came with a cover letter, uh, you know, explaining what the situation was, a link to uh, Simon's showreel, which I was quite impressed with. He'd made some short films which were, which were all very visually striking and some music videos, same thing. And um, that was it really. I, I tend to read things quick and give an answer like there and then. So I think it was probably... Was it yeah, quick, it was very was it? quick. Yeah, it was very quick. I mean, we had a conversation when you were in Croatia, and from that moment, if we could make the schedule work, you were in. Yeah, and obviously the script has to be good, and the script was good, and it had a good, uh, quite meaty role as well, which is always... Uh, and I had said to helped. Colette that I thought we could get an actor of Aidan's potential, you know, and ability, because any actor who's interested in good parts would like to take on the role of Carver. So I kind of hoped that we would get somebody like Aiden because the role of Carver would attract an actor like Aiden. I suspected, and thankfully um, I was right. I can't remember the conversation. What did we talk about? Talked about my films, a um, bit about the character, a bit about things you liked, things you didn't like. Yeah, I think we both liked a lot of the same kind of films and yes, music. And yeah, definitely. That generally helps. Um, Although visually, I think it came out even better than I would have uh, expected. Not that I wouldn't have expected, <laughs> expected it to look great, but it does have a different, much bigger look than maybe the, the shorts had. The yeah. shorts were very 
artistically um, striking and beautifully framed, but it was quite uh, arty and even abstract. But this was qu is quite uh, classical. Maybe the DP uh, Andy Parsons. That's right, right. Yeah. He hadn't done many. Feature films before, and I think he did a pretty amazing job. Yeah, he did an amazing job, particularly in terms of the film is like a modern take on noir, and so we really pushed the darkness and uh, a lot of single source lighting and kind of really pushed it um, and how dark we could take it without it becoming ugly so that it still has a painterly quality, I hope. And I think Andy did a, an amazing job, and both myself and Aiden. You know, we knew that we were working with somebody who was in tune and in harmony with what we were trying to create. And well, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Well, I was going to introduce a clip, so, right, so okay. say what you were going to say. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say the atmosphere is quite important um, in the uh, in this film, and I think the fact that we both that Simon lives in near Kings Cross and that I had lived in Islington. Um, myself and we both had kids and you know raised our kids in that environment uh, was also a, a touchstone that was important and that we knew what it was like to you know it's an obvious thing to say but if I didn't have kids and live in North London I may not have no I think it would have I been. may not have gone there because I just wouldn't have I may not have known what I was talking about but I do and then in initial conversations that we had prior to shooting it was obvious that we had very much touchstones we have very similar music tastes um, we have a, a relationship with North London, we have children. Um, so there were a lot of kind of bases that meant that there was a, a short hand that is always really, really helpful when you're making a film, but particularly a film of this kind of budget where time constraints are huge. If you have a, an instant chemistry and a shorthand, it makes up for a lot of... Um... Um, so we're going to take a look at a quick clip. Um, in contrast to what... Simon was just saying it's actually one of the lighter, in both senses, moments of the film. But this is where uh, where Tom's ex-wife Rachel meets his now girlfriend Christina for the first time. So if you can roll that clip. Oh, Christina, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I've heard lots about you. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I bet Tom's never mentioned me before. You look a bit shocked. Oh, no, 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 he's, uh, he's told me lots about you. Where is he? Well, you, um, Tom was out of tonic, so he's gone to the off-license. Oh. Each other than you. Yeah. Everything all right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you know what? I um, really should be going, so... Sure can't tempt you. <laughs> it's fine, thank you. Um, really nice to meet you, Christine. You too. And, uh, good to see you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. yeah. It'd be nice if we could do it again sometime. Yeah. All right, call me. I will. All right, take care. Bye. So that clip might not illustrate it, but, but still is a, is, is a very dark film and it's a very tough film. Uh, and it's quite claustrophobic. So I, I, I wondered if it was a very serious shoot or did you have time to have a bit of fun while you were making it and improvise and, you know, have a joke? Or was it all very kind of work all the time? It wasn't that much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was work all the time. Uh, yeah, it was time work all the time because else. the uh, schedule was quite tight. I mean, yeah. you know, it was only three to four weeks, I'm not really sure, and a lot to do in that time. Particularly um, once we got outside the flat, then yeah. it got really tough. Um, I mean, it's always fun, even if you're not actively trying to make jokes all the time and be funny, you know. Um, if there's a bunch of people around who are into what they're doing, and, um, you know, that's... It makes it fun, but it's, mm. it's work more than anything. There was a, some, uh, you just asked about improvisers. There's not much improvisation in it. There's some, though. I think we used to use it just to get to top and tail scenes, just to kind of get things rolling yep. and, uh, and do the scene and then just throw a bit on the end in case, you know, something happened or just to give a, an exit cut, you know. Um, but it wasn't, it was pretty much tightly scripted, I reckon. Yeah, although there is an argument the best line in the film is the one that I didn't write. <laughs> I don't like that line, so... He doesn't like that's it, but everybody he, that's, else that, does. That's what the argument is. We can have that later. Yeah, we can have that. Um, Aidan, you obviously tend to balance small films like Still and work with Jamie Thraves with bigger work like Game of Thrones or The Dark Knight Rises. So I wondered if you could talk about the differences between them for you as an actor and, I mean, do you get more chance to explore a character with something like this or is it all happening too fast and the, the work is too fast? Um, the difference is as the acting itself is not really any different, you know, the process is the same. I suppose um, you're going to tend to, the roles you take in the, the smaller films, of course you're not going to take, you're going to take a decent part, you're not going to take a tiny part in a, a well you might, but I just don't. Um, I've actively tried to, you know, for every bigger project I've been working on, so say for every season of Game of Thrones, which is what I'm working on at the moment, uh, for every one, you know, do maybe two projects like this. Um, so the roles are good, the experience is good, you work really hard, and um, you're also participating in the film industry, you know, you've been an active, uh, participant in filmmaking at that level and um, it, you know your presence helps the film happen and that's you know some it's I think it's important to uh, do that and it's also exciting to be in someone's first film you know in a way that it may not be if it's someone's fifth or if it's a fifth season of a TV series you know because they're staking everything on it and it, they may have spent you know five ten years or 15 years getting to that point so it's uh, an exciting thing to be part of whether it works or not you know and Simon, I mean, how was it for you having someone 
with such a track record and someone who has such experience um, being there for your first film? I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I, oh, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, like. it's about the credibility. It makes you it makes you feel that you're onto something. You know, I mean, I love Dayton's work. I love The Wire. I love Queer as Folk. Um, you know, I'd seen the Jamie Thraves films as well. And, you know, he's the kind of person that I want to work with. And he makes, he's involved in the kind of projects that I would like to make. So it gives you, a, one, it gives you a credibility and it makes you think that, you know, once, once Aiden agreed to do it, the whole kind of sense from the, the team that was working on the film kind of, because you think, ah, oh, we're onto something. Because it's very fragile when you're, when you're creating something, you know, you really don't know what people are going to think. And so to, to have Aiden come on board was, was, was... And we should point out that there are um, a number of other uh, really good actors, um, or that there are a number of really good actors. I'm not including myself in that um, terminology, but uh, Jonathan Slinger, um, who you, you know, most people don't know. He's a pretty, really well-known stage actor, in fact, and uh, had done lots of parts in TV and film, but, you know, wouldn't be a household name. And uh, he came on board and played this character, Ed, who's the best friend, who's, it's as big a part as my part. And, you know, he's really good, as is Amanda Meeling, who plays, who was in that clip, that played, who's the older woman, the ex uh, And she's a revelation, because she's largely a, a TV actress, which, you know, not in any way to, to put down TV acting, but, you know, she, we had a running joke that every European auteur would be interested in her after still, you know, because, you know, like Benoche or Kirsten Scott Thomas, she feels as, her performance feels as strong as that. There's also um, a really good uh, uh, young guy, yeah, kid. He was, brilliant. you just saw him in that clip kind of peering around the, um, the, the, the pillar uh, called Sonny Green, who's, you know, I don't know what age he is, 17, 18? Yeah, he's something. about 18, 19 now, um, so he's 16, 17. But his background is that he's a, a, a spoken word artist or a rapper or um, it's his first acting role though, yeah right? he'd never done anything before where'd you find him because we i didn't i really wanted a kid that looked like he'd walked off the barnsbury estate in north london and walked onto the set and bumped into aiden literally like the thing that starts the film um, and we auditioned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and they were all very good in their own way but you could see the joins because they were all actors so you could see them thinking about what they were doing rather than responding to what was happening to them. Um, and he came in and auditioned for us. Uh, Carmel Cochran, our casting director, found him. Um, and he was just very charismatic. And, um, and he'd had a bit of a life, and he, I felt like he knew the character. And he, was, he was really, really good. As Aiden says, you know, they're quite dynamic. The scenes with him and Aiden are really strong. Yeah, I mean, I won't spoil it for anyone, but the, the climactic scene between Aidan and Sonny is, is, is really remarkable. His, his performance is really stunning. Yes. Um, this is probably a, as good a point as any to introduce the second clip, which is, um, involves Jonathan Slinger, who you were just talking about, and it's uh, Aidan's character Tom and Jonathan's character Ed looking at slides. So if we can roll that. Very nice. You can't beat kids. I mean, pictures kids. There's hope, isn't there? Want some of this? 
It's not even 11 o'clock. It's Saturday. Yeah, I can wait. You got any beers? <clears throat> Should be some in the fridge in there. Nice. Hey, how's that story gone? Terry Grady. 15-year-old kid stabbed to death at a park football match. Eight-inch blade and a broken bottle. Nasty business. Pension was her. The DI dealt with Stephen. Yeah, I remember. Sends his regards. That's <sighs> nice. Sorry, Mr. Poker. Where does he live? River Mead Estate. The one by the park and the playground. Why? I think I took a picture of his brother in, in the school last week. Leave it, Tom. Oh, fuck, what time is it? 11, 11.30. Oh, fuck, I forgot. Rachel. Uh, hi. Yeah. No, no, I didn't forget. Come up. Yeah, I'm not ready. It'll take me, it'll take me 10 minutes. Yeah, come up. Um, it's Rachel, she's outside. Looks like these are going to have to wait. Rachel? Yeah, we're visiting Stephen's grave together. Rachel. Yeah, you too. See you later, Tom. Yeah, take care. So, uh, let's get ready. Okay. Beer for breakfast. Classy. So, I'll just ask a couple more questions and then we'll open it to the audience. So, have a think about uh, what you want to ask. Um, Simon, when you got to the editing room, did you feel like you'd got the film that you wanted? Did, you know, when you, when you sat down and reviewed the rushes, did, 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 did it resemble the film that you'd imagined in your head before yeah, you made no, it? Yeah, no, initially I was very excited um, <laughs> and then it became problematic. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I thought I'd got everything that I needed. But trying to shape the story then became much more difficult. I mean, Aidan has already hinted at the fact that John Slinger's role, Ed, was quite a large role in the screenplay. And so trying to, to make sure that it was Carver's story, yeah. because they both kind of have parallel stories as well that run alongside each other. Um, and, and opening it out as well. Um, we realized that we had to really kind of hone in on Carver's story, that was the key. And so the, the editing, editorial process was quite tricky because we, we moved away from the screenplay and started moving things further forward in the plot. And, and so that was probably the toughest process, was the editing. Yeah. And how do you feel about the way the film's been received? I know you won an award in Ireland, so congratulations for that. Thank so, you. I mean, how, how, are you, how are you feeling about the way the film's... I mean, I love it. I'm very received? proud of it. Um, it's a very personal film, so it's difficult for me to be too objective 
I mean, it's very polarizing. I think you either love it or hate it. It's kind of, um, I think you either buy into the world or you don't. And if you don't, then it's a fairly tough 90 minutes. If you do, then I think, and also I think it's, it's tricky because it's an attempt to understand a person that is falling apart. And so it's, it's got a heightened sense because when you're in that state, you know, um, things are much more heightened and strange and odd. Um, and I think if you buy into that and you understand that, then I hope it's a, it's a great ride. But if you don't, and I think that's why it's polarizing. So it's kind of. Uh, so I'll open it up to questions from the audience. If anyone has anything to ask. I actually had uh, another uh, election question for you, Aidan, but a transatlantic one. Um, I don't know if you've heard that uh, Martin O'Malley, uh, the character that your character in The Wire was inspired by, uh, the rumours he's going to run as uh, a rival to Hillary Clinton for the Democratic nomination. And I wondered what you thought about that and whether you saw your character if The Wire had continued as possibly in your, your Im imagination sort of going on to that path. Um, the character of Car Thomas Carcetti and the Wire is based on maybe two or three people. Um, and then there's another, that's maybe 60% of it, and then 40% of it is made up. It's very loosely based on a number of people, one of whom is O'Malley, but you know, it's not, it's not O'Malley. Um, I always, O'Malley was always seen as a potential presidential candidate, not just a vice presidential candidate. And um, he was mayor of Baltimore while we were shooting uh, the wire in Baltimore. He became governor uh, not long after that. Um, so it's not a surprise. And it, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if he ran, if he, uh, ran presidentially at any point. Um, so it's not a surprise. Do I think Tommy would have? Yeah, I do, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, um, you know, I don't want to use up all the time on a, on a wire question, but uh, even, it, you know, in the Carcetti journey from season three to the end of season five, it was, you know, it, things were already turning sour and he was, uh, yeah, compromised. Um, thank you. <laughs> any more for any more? Gentleman in the middle here. You can just wait for the mic to be passed along. Gentleman here. <laughs> Oh, and then we'll, we'll come back to you. <laughs> um, this is a question for both of you. Uh, I'm an actor about to uh, graduate from drama school in a few months, and uh, it's a very intimidating prospect to sort of go into that world and sort of enter the party, so to speak, with, uh, without any real idea of how to interact with the millions of guests. I just wanted to ask you both, um, do you have any advice as uh, how you sort of, in your early days, how you sort of navigated uh, the industry to the uh, to the successful points that you both are now. Well, I didn't navigate the industry very well, so I'm the worst person to answer that question. Um, <laughs> what did you said thousands of something. What did you say? Thousands of guests. What did you say? Just just uh, just that the obviously there's so many different people in the industry. Oh, and yeah. I'm only one actor. You know how did? Yeah, I know. So um, look, just so is everybody else, though. You know, I think it's finding a good role, uh, being in the right place playing the right thing and doing it well and uh, then trying to get people to see it or to know about it you know that's the thing you can um, it's the same with a lot of 
you know, I've, I've been in, involved. In, I, I've been an actor since I was 17, and I'm, that's 30 years, you know. And um, there's been plenty of things along the way that I've worked on that I thought, you know, that we all worked really hard on, and, and that n people never saw, you know. So um, it was while it's enjoyable to do the stuff, you want people to see it. But just getting back to the the start of things, I mean, in my case, I mean, I was um, that age, but. Uh, a certain amount of hustling, you know what I mean, without being, without being crazy and without really annoying people, you know, but actually going out. People do appreciate when somebody walks across town or cycles across town or whatever across town and, you know, delivers a resume or a photograph or whatever it is. Um, and also being passionate just, as well. Yeah, and being, being passionate, being, being passionate yeah, and trying and to get, trying to learn all the time and... Uh, and never giving up. I mean, I could have easily given up on Still. Still has been, you know, in my kind of DNA for the last, I mean, the stage play was in 1999, so 16 years. And in that process, in that period of time, I could have given up on many, 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 many occasions. And I, I didn't. And, and then I got lucky. And so, you know, I think persistence is another key thing. And I think making your own work if you have to as well, which a lot if more people to, are yeah, doing yeah. Uh, nowadays. It may, you may not be able to live off it, but if it's good, you'll be able to... It's a good uh, calling card. It yeah. is a good calling card, yeah. yeah. And people respond to it and appreciate and can, it if it's good. And you can do that cheaply now with you know, digital and you know, it's not like the old days where you know, a 16 millimeter film would cost, would cost 10 grand, you know, a 10 minute 16 millimeter film. And you know, the night now, you, know, you can make it for very little and it have high-end production values and everything else, so, yeah. And being around good people is important. Um, you know, it may be playing a tiny part in something, but uh, if you're around people who are good, you learn a lot, and uh, they like having you around as well, you know. I started out with, you know, pretty tiny parts, uh, one, two lines, you know, and uh, built up from there over a long time. I don't know, that's all I can say. It's the only advice I have. I didn't go to drama school or any of that, so um, I was approaching it in the only way that I knew, or that I didn't know, in fact, which was just finding my way. Thanks. If you can pass the mic back to the gentleman behind you, that would be great. Sorry, can I ask, do you think the film will, um, do you fear the film won't get to its audience? I think the film will get to an audience because it has distribution, you know, so it will get to an audience. Um, uh, is it the audience that you? It's the I mean, it's, it's going to get to the audience, the kind of audience who would would appreciate the film. And nowadays, uh, it feels like there's probably as many. I don't know if there are as many independent cinemas as there used to be, but there's certainly um, some in in London anyway. There's you know pretty some pretty decent. Uh, like the chains and stuff that you know will show this film around town. Um, I think it's probably probably been made easier due to uh, the uh, digital projection. You know, you can actually have more copies of a film and not just, you know, say when we brought out Jamie Traves' film Lowdown, there was like two prints or something. You know, there'd be two prints because that's all you could afford to actually have because it's because it's an actual film print. Um, so you can, if there's an an, an appetite for. Uh, you know, and if it's been well regarded or well reviewed or whatever, you can get, you can get more um, s screenings. Um, 
and it's just if it's in, and if it's good, people should respond to it, and if it's not, they'll respond to it in the, in the corresponding way. Um, we know, you know, we know it's not it's not going up against Transformers Four or whatever. I mean, it might it might be coming out the same week, but it's it's they're in different brackets, and there's always an audience of, of people who don't want to go and see Fast and Furious or uh, John Wick, you know. Um, so I hope people do see it, but you know. Um, it's so it's certainly, you. One, that is a question. Who's distributing and what's the deal there? Well, I mean, I know, but I'm just asking you. So. <laughs> well, it's distributed by Verve in the UK and Ireland. And, you know, again, that's a credibility thing for still. You know, they've distributed some really interesting films in uh, the last five or six years. So, again, to be associated with those kind of films for still is great. Um, I mean, an interesting sideline is about genre and how to pitch still, because that's a slight problem. Because um, for me, I'm interested in making films that kind of fall through the cracks of genre. I'm not very interested in genre per se. And so still starts off as a very different film and then mutates into something else. And so for poor old Colin at Verve and Colette, they have to try and sell that. And that is tricky um, because still is all kinds of films. It's a kind of, you know, it's 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 being sold as a thriller, whether it's a thriller, I don't, you know, it's kind of it's lots. It's hopefully it kind of falls through the cracks of genre, and that's that there was always the intention, you know, um, to make something different that's not like everything else, but not through the cracks, just through the cracks of the, the genre <laughs> cracks. Yeah, yeah, not. Yeah, speaking of not the audience cracks. Yeah. Speaking of quite independent London cinemas, there is the Regent Street Cinema is opening tonight, and still will be screening there on Friday for the premiere. So if you want to go, I it's also screening don't know at if the those tickets still available, but try. Kilburn, yeah, screening at the Tricycle in Kilburn on Saturday, well, Clapham Picture House on Sunday. So if you if you fancy it, and we're doing Q and A's there and everything else. So um, we've got time yeah. for two more questions. So there's a lady there and the gentleman sitting in front of her. So that lady first. Hi, Simon, this one's for you. Um, just wanted to know, why did you name your piece Still? Why that word? Uh, uh, lots of reasons. Um, he's a still photographer. Um, I am, was, a, I still am a big fan of Joy Division, and they had an album called Still, which I loved. It had this beautiful cover, kind of really thick, like, um, uh, factory records, kind of, you know, the way they used to produce things was very beautiful. And also, probably more than anything else, uh, the film is about um, a man receiving a phone call where somebody says, um, I have some dreadful news, Mr. Carver. Unfortunately, uh, your son passed away today. And Carver, when we join the film, he is still, at that moment, a year on. He's still stuck, frozen, still. Um, and that's it was called still and that's but that's the key thing is that he is a person frozen with grief and that inertia leads to lots of other dreadful things but that's the key element is that he just can't move on he's stuck and so that's why it's good. called still good answer so final question hi there um i do have um a question for aiden and also simon if that's all right so i'll start with aiden which is it's very admirable that you like your British independent cinema. What makes you passionate about it over Hollywood mainstream, which is something you enter as well with the Maze Runner part two? 
Um, well, I'm interested in, in, in it all, really, you know. Uh, primarily, it's playing a good role and being around, you know, interesting, creative people. And, uh, you know, I probably, in my cinema going, I do go and see more indie films than I do go and see blockbusters, but I do go and see both, and there's a place for all of it, you know. Um, it's, it's just more exciting to be on the team of, of the, you know, the team, the, the, under, the underdog, you know. I'm, I'd, I'd always side with the underdog, and it's more exciting to play on the team that's, you know, it's going to have the harder uh, job in, in winning the game, you know. Um, that's, that's, it's not all, it's not all that, it, that it's, nah, I don't know, I think that's the answer. Okay, thank you. Okay. And for Simon, having already seen the film and re reviewed it, it's a great film. I've noticed um, your kind of influence from Scorsese because this is um, a British urban drama or British urban thriller. I've noticed uh, the musical score, very much taken from Bernard Herrmann's Taxi Driver in a way. I felt that there was an influence there. What was your decision to take that kind of a score compared to what someone like Noel Clarke would take with his grime and his R&B with a film like that, which would well, be more he, conventional? He, he's a lot younger than me, for starters. So. Um, we didn't want, again, in trying to do something different, we didn't want to do an urban film that had the, the kind of ticks of what normal urban films have. So we went very much for a noir kind of influence that was, went back to the 50s. And so we also decided um, with Alex Gray, who did the soundtrack, to tap into all those kind of jazz soundtracks that Duke Ellington did, like Anatomy of a Murder, and Miles Davis, Lift to the Scaffold, and the Gil Evans soundtracks, which then kind of ran into Bernard Herrmann's Taxi Driver soundtrack. Um, and then to also give it a kind of modern update by kind of trying a kind of mix between like burial and a mix of burial and the Bernard Herrmann. And, uh, and the Scorsese thing, I'm, I'm actually not a massive Scorsese fan. Um, I love Taxi Driver, and I love one or two others, but I'm not a massive Scorsese fan. But definitely the idea of somebody raging against the light and Travis Bickle and Carver, that felt like a very similar. And then there were weird things like he has a jacket that is not dissimilar to you know, the green. So there were lots of taps in. And the last shot of the film is, again, um, very similar to Taxi Driver in terms of um, you know, kind of a quiet moment at the end of all this carnage where you can just take stock of what's gone before. So yeah. Yeah, there were definitely influences. So we're going to end it there. It's a good place to end it, talking about the end of the film. Uh, go and see Still. Uh, thank you yeah, very much for coming. We need all our champions, so yes. yeah, please yes. go and see it. Go and see it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>